Welcome, everyone, to the movies that move us. I am your host, Quince Van Orden. I am accompanied by a guest host, Cassia. Welcome. Hello. Uh, thank you for having me. It's fun to be kind of like a, a guest host this time around. Uh, I did an episode uh, with uh, Al on Alpha back in the day. It's nice to be back. Excellent. And we are glad to have with us as our guest of honor, our normal main host, Al Larson. Hey, thanks for having me on my own podcast. <laughs> um, I, 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 I love that you wanted to do this movie. Um, we're going to be talking about the Boondock Saints mm-hmm. um, and, and, and getting into that. And uh, I think it is important uh, for us as the host to sometimes talk about some of the movies that moved us. Uh, we'll have to do one later for me as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but so the Boondock Saints is a phenomenal film. But when was the first time that you saw this, Al? So jump right I, into it. Yeah, jumping right into this. I was either twenty-one or twenty-two. I was like right around that cusp of. Uh, it was like right around there. Um, I had just gotten home from like my two-year religious service, uh, also known by LDS people as a LDS mission, and I was living in my first college apartment. So I had been home six to eight months, is my guess. I was, yeah, my first college apartment at BYU in Provo, and I decided to watch this. Nice. I think I saw this when I was, like, 17, maybe, before while I was still in high school. Um, but I think we have a similar, um, like, revolving around this uh, feeling. Cassia, was this the first time you saw this movie? Yeah, I saw it on YouTube, the way it was meant to be seen, <laughs> yes. a couple of days ago. So, And I don't think I would have seen it uh, if not for this podcast, but it was an interesting experience. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean... To be honest, I do think a lot of people should watch this. I, I highly recommend it. When it came out, it was kind of like this weird cult classic. And then it got a sequel that is apparently eight years later. But I think they should have done the sequel soon after. Um, and we can get into that later. <clears throat> so, Al, what is it about this that changed your perception on things? Yeah. So... I'm going to come out and say this right now at the beginning. This is not a movie that I like or like change my life in, in what I feel like is any positive ways, <laughs> <laughs> but it, you know, it's, it's an important foundational movie to who I am as a person nowadays. You mean I, I didn't say more prayers uh, because uh, like the brothers <laughs> right. go to church early in the morning. Uh, no, no, I didn't, didn't quite <laughs> react that way to it. So this was kind of the first movie. I, I hadn't watched many R-rated movies up until I watched this one. And this one is maybe not the first one that you want to, you want to break into if you're maybe a, a little bit new to R-rated movies and the level of violence that, that can be present in, in those types of mm-hmm. movies. Uh, so my connection is really that, like, I, I feel like this movie kind of took away my innocence in a, in a way. I, I've never felt the same way watching R-rated movies as I did when I watched this one. So this wasn't your first R-rated film? No, I... If I had to guess, I'd probably seen a dozen, maybe 15 R-rated movies before this one. Like, I had seen all of the Terminator movies up until that point, which were four of them. One of them was PG-13, but we watched, like, me and my buddies, we watched the uh, director's cut that was, you know, going to be rated R if it had been. We also, you know, I had seen Psycho, I'd seen this movie called The Go-Getter that I watched because it had Zoe Deschanel in it. I had also seen like Fight Club, which is, you know, somewhat comparable, 
but for yeah, whatever reason, I mean, just not not quite as much for for me. And uh, Cassia, what would you say, or do you feel like you've ever broken your innocence <laughs> with R-rated films? Because I, I think I would say I'd have somewhat of a similar experience. You know, this, and I, I think I told you, Al, that uh, for me it was like uh, The Matrix. Mm. Um, you know, it, it wasn't as bloody, but it was definitely violent and it's just, you know, action packed. And, you know, I grew up with Bond. Uh, I was a huge James Bond fan growing up. I don't think I'm well, as much of a Bond fan as I was when I was a teenager. Um, but uh, um, this, it definitely, I, I understand that breaking of your innocent seal. Mm-hmm. Oh boy. Um, so I think my first rated R movie was Psycho, uh, the the version I believe made in the sixties. Um, and like technically, we watched that in high school, my senior year. Um, and like so, technically, it was rated R, but nowadays, I think it would maybe be PG, maybe PG thirteen. You know, um, mm-hmm. but I. I think my first rated R movie was actually when I was uh, 21 in college and I was watching a movie with my roommate who was Canadian. So they kind of had like different film ratings and they said, oh, it's not rated R. And I said, oh, okay. So we watched Frailty, which is kind of, uh, I think it was Bill Paxton's directorial debut. And I was like, ooh, I like this movie. And like, I, I didn't think it was rated R. and it's it, it's kind of funny like that the movie that broke your innocence was like the boondock saints and like i watched frailty like as my first like real rated r movie and like in that movie like you think like this guy is killer and there's no justification but then you kind of like see like oh no because god told him to you know so it kind of just like kind of got me thinking I don't know if that movie necessarily broke my innocence, but I Did you start thinking outside the box a little? Thinking a little bit outside the box, but still very much in the box. It was kind of an aberration, but the first um, film, R-rated film that I saw in theaters was Joker in 2019, and like even then, like, I didn't tell my parents, you know, and uh, <laughs> I, I, it, the Joker, like, I think it's a well-made movie, maybe because I haven't seen Taxi Driver yet, you know, maybe I will one day, but I just didn't like it, but maybe that was the fracturing of my innocence, was the Joker. Hmm. Oh, so, Al, what, like, do you think there were specific scenes that really broke it down for you? Yeah. So I, I watched this movie in, in two bursts because I felt so awful like the first time that I was watching it. Because <laughs> you were fresh off your mission. I, I get that. I, yeah. I mean, like, I, the, the first one that broke my so, spirit mm-hmm. off of mission was The Dark Knight. <laughs> <laughs> So like I I did I that was like the first movie that I watched like when I got home like I when I got home like I wanted to watch The Dark Knight so that the next the next day I could watch Dark Knight Rises and you know I was some people they thought that that was like really crazy for me to like immediately want to watch something like Dark Knight Rises they thought that that was already a dark choice or whatever but mm-hmm. um no so for me this one it the scene that like really kind of sticks out to me uh probably because like this is like right after like this i would have turned it off like right after then was the like the shooting in the porno theater Mm. and i just feel like it was just kind of the culmination of like i mean you you're just being assaulted by like swear words constantly in this movie all the time yeah as opposed to like some of these other movies that I've talked about, it's like Terminator. I don't know that they really say the F word that much. You know, some of these other ones, uh, the violence is kind of crazy. And like, and then there's sex, there's 
you know, you're seeing some some topless woman who's fainted and stuff like that. And it was just like kind of a culmination of all these things. And I was just like, oh, no, I shouldn't be watching this. And like, I had like, I just turned like turn that off. Mm -hmm. And like, I just kind of had this like. I don't know, this feeling deep inside that I was just like, oh, I, just, I feel sick. I feel mm-hmm. I feel bad. And, um, you know, kind of the, the weird thing, and maybe what makes me feel even worse about it, is that then the next day I was thinking about that movie and I was like, I need to finish watching this movie and get it, like, thinking that, like, by finishing it, I could, like, resolve my guilt or some, some kind of thing like that. So, for me, it's, it's that, the porno theater scene. Yeah, that's totally understandable. Do you, do you feel like it, you felt it again after you finished then the second time? Or the second half, I guess? Did I feel that same like level of darkness regret. or guilt or whatever yeah. regret? Um, not as much. I definitely didn't feel as much. Like it, it, it definitely had some kind of like Jumanji effect or something. It's like once you start playing, you have to finish it, the game. Uh, you know, something like that. So I, I, I did feel a little bit more closure by finishing it, but I like. I didn't really like the ending or like it didn't make me feel that much better. <laughs> you mean the uh, scene with, um, and we could just go on and on about William DeVoe, but uh, as a woman there at the end. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I think this, I love this is William kind Defoe. of a movie that hey. has, Oh yeah. Willem DeVoe is great in this. And like mm-hmm. watching this again, I would definitely say that he is like the, He's kind of the, the real star. The best. He's the best part. Yeah, for sure. He's what you kept think... me watching. <laughs> do, do you think he? This is his peak because he does other crazy stuff, and like that's like his motif is just like a crazed character <laughs> in a sense. You know, this is why people think he could be a great Joker. He does look a lot like the Arkham uh, trilogy Joker, just on his own. And funnily enough, he did play Jesus in The Last Temptation of Christ, you know? So, um, I feel like Willem Dafoe is like an actor, though, like who's pretty much always been on his peak, you know? I don't so, think I've l- ever l- seen him waver. Let me ask both of you. What was your favorite line? And most likely it's from William Defoe, but in this movie, because there were a lot of great one-liners from him. Um, the I, I don't know if I should really even say it because it's like the the line that I was just that I think about often is just like kind of that scene where he's on the phone and the guy and you know, he's, he's been sleeping with a guy and the guy's like trying to cuddle with him and he just like slaps mm-hmm. the guy's ear. <laughs> and like, yeah, and, I, I did he calls think him a terrible was... thing. He calls him, you know, he calls him a fag, but, and it's just but like, I think that's uh, interesting because in the next scene, you know, he's at a crime scene and they, the, the other cops mention the main guy as a fag and he like gets almost offended. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, he, he definitely feels like, I mean, it, it's probably similar to how other people, you know, like how black people, they will say the N word, but they, they will get offended if, you know, somebody mm-hmm. else outside of who they kind of term as like, who could be able to say it, say it. There is a great review of the Boondock Saints on Letterboxd, and it says, in this movie, Willem Dafoe, A, is gay, B, is homophobic, C, does drag, D, all of the above, um, (laughs) under the the folder Willem Dafoe (laughs) Academy Award. Um, I think he he really did have the best performance. Um, I think the line I wrote down that kind of uh, stuck with me was, these two men are not heroes. I believe that William Defoe said it. 
If not, I'm sorry. But also just kind of like the priest at the beginning talking about Kitty Genovese, I think. I probably spelled it wrong, too, when I wrote it down. So I'm sorry. Like kind of that speech uh, about the greatest evil is the indifference of good men. It kind of just reminded me of Batman Begins. So, yeah. I'm trying to think of like what, going back to your earlier question about like what is peak Willem Dafoe? And mm-hmm. I feel like most people are probably just going to think of him as Norman Green Osborn. Goblin. Yeah, Green yeah. Goblin. And like he, he delivered like such a real, like a good performance at that, like delivering it. And like, I mean, he delivered it again just recently with yeah. uh, No Way Home. And it's like, wow, he, he just channeled that character right back. And it was. So awesome. I want to see his new one where he like goes crazy inside a house. Right. Yeah. Um, I think for me, I, I I think I quoted it to you, Al. I loved the line, like, um, uh, it's fine by me, but you have to ask your mom if they can sleep over. That uh, that and like a, a couple, he has a couple lines like that just, to some of the other cops that just feel like, man, some somebody watched a, a bunch of cop dramas and thought that they were just being so clever. Or when he's the the like one of the last ones at the house, at that house where the guy got his finger shot off, Rocco, oh. um, and he's like imagining it himself. Doesn't he like yell out like? Uh, I don't know why I want to say gun carnage, but that's not it. But just something ridiculous as he's pretending the shooting, and he also just shoots in the air his own gun. <laughs> just, that, just... that part is so crazy and unhinged in that scene. It's just like you have you have this guy who has been at least you know a pretty good cop up until this point. A little bit unorthodox. He is a little bit you know kind of those uh you know he's kind of a little bit like adrian monk or you know some some other police detective show that's like this guy has like some special skills that he's able to kind of piece together this stuff a little bit better than than the average cop and then he just goes fully freaking unhinged and he's like dancing around and like shooting everyone else is like calm and not sweating and he is just drenched in sweat his shirt is upheaved just half buttoned half tucked just like he went through a nightmare trying to describe what happened at this uh shooting i put it together that that's where the meme or the gif you know of like willem defoe like conducting the air i was like oh that's where that where that gif is from, you know? And I I was kind of taken aback by him, like, shooting into the air. Like, I was like, is this happening in reality? Or is he imagining himself within their reality? And it did kind of take me out of it. Clearly, this was a movie pre, you know, pre-9-11. It was just like, they, they try to show cops in... A different light for sure nowadays whether they're showing them in a good way or bad way they're not showing them just like wildly shooting shooting their gun in the air for no reason whatsoever i do think it was still relevant today because that very end where you know they're kind of asking people what they think of the saints and a good guy with a gun versus a bad guy with a gun you know, and so I, I found that really interesting that it's still relevant today with this movie. Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> I think that, you know, I, I made the, the comment to both of you guys previously that I think that there, there's a certain group of people who would probably watch this and associate it directly with something like uh, Kyle Rittenhouse. And they would be like, oh, look, see, the, he was a vigilante just like them. And they would kind of associate like similar motivations and uh, mm-hmm. things like that among the two of them. And yeah, so I, I think that there are there's strong comparisons to like what you could 
what you could draw from today and that a lot of people feel like crime has gone up even more and so that they would feel like yeah it would totally be justified if we had people like the saints now in my mind i i like the movie a lot um where does this fit in your top hundred al um you know i would not place this in my top hundred list i i I've thought about like what what a top 100 list would be and uh, I just cannot picture this I, one appearing you anywhere know, in it. I I think the biggest issue is the editing. So many fade to blacks. You know, I think mm-hmm. if they yeah. if they would have kept a kind of like a better if they changed the editing in this whole movie, I think it would it would go up a few notches in anyone's belt in my mind because like the story is not bad even though you don't really get to the point of the story until like 45 minutes in the movie of why (laughs) they're doing that i think you could speed that up a little bit too but i think it ends on a great note and i think it had a huge potential for a really good sequel which would be interesting to see where that would have went i cannot remember the sequel for the life of me but um so you have not have been good then I have seen it once, but it definitely was not as rem- rememberable. Um, memorable? As, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, Cassia, for you have not watched a lot of rated R films. Where on your top 100 rated R films does this land? Even though I, I have yet to see um a hundred rated r films this isn't gonna be on that list you know i've been kind of ever since like 2021 kind of after i turned 30 and kind of started to evaluate reevaluate like kind of what i wanted out of life i i kind of like made it a point to finally see parasite to see Portrait of a Lady on Fire, you know, and uh, in 2022, um, I kind of caught up on a lot of films that uh, I didn't really see growing up, like, even like some PG, PG PG-13 R-rated films I didn't grow up with. I've been trying to make up for it in a very short amount of time. I'm sure Al can attest to that, but... um, yeah, Boondock Saints is not going to be on my top 100 list, top <laughs> rated R list, you know. Um, so was, however many R-rated movies you have seen, this is at gonna the be, very yeah, back of the bottom. I, I just, <laughs> yeah. It just, Even if I, I don't watch 100, jive, it's still not on there. <laughs> I didn't jive with the story. Um, the last half after Rocco kind of joins their gang, um, it was kind of a chore for me to get through. Um, and like one thing I was kind of wondering why, while I was watching Moondock Saints is who do you think we are supposed to empathize with in this movie? That's a great question. Cause part of my, my first thought was like Rocco. You know, I would actually say the, I think it's William yeah. Defoe. Yeah. I think he's, he oh. is really the main star of this. Yeah. Because do sure, you sympathize sure with him. his do you sympathize with his his response to help these men uh in the end do what cops couldn't do? I kind of think he made the wrong choice, but I can understand why he made it, but I'm kind of like it, it makes me question like why the creative team made that choice and i understand it's a it's a movie you know but like i don't think i quite like agreed with like the conclusions they made so it was interesting i think that that's fair i mean i think that the ending shows how how divisive of an of a choice it was to really side with them and i think that that's a good way to like kind of help clear the air to like really maybe get the conversation going at the end of it to be like, Oh, how, how do I feel about these people? Do I feel like 
what they did was good or not good. You know, some movies they kind of end with a decision that's been made and they don't they don't really kind of leave it up to you as as the audience to to kind of guess or whatnot. And so they're just like, This is this is what the answer is, therefore, you know? Yeah. I think you're supposed to initially kind of feel bad for the the saints. Like you're supposed to empathize with them because you know, they're they're Irish people in this neighborhood that's being taken over by by Russians, by the Russian mob, and like they don't have much. They're living in a a loft that has that's unfinished. It barely has running water and like two beds and like not much else. And like they're the Russians are like trying to take everything from them. Like the the last comfort that they have is the bar. And it's like, oh, like you're supposed to kind of feel bad for them. And then like, as the Russians directly come after the two of them, you know, they're, they're doing it initially as a response of just like, Hey, we're just defending ourselves. And then it escalates from there. And I think that you're supposed to kind of like keep going with, with them. But I think that it does make it much more difficult to go along with them once they add Rocco into the situation. Well, yeah. in general, I think in the very beginning where they, you know, get off on um, self-defense, you think of them as just average Joes, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But it's then when they buy or they just happen to have an arsenal and mm-hmm. then they do the cool upside down hanging uh, shooting. And it's like, OK, where did this come from? Because it doesn't like ever show their you know, military training or anything like that. And, and you get, and it, it it's when they're in the <clears throat> being, police station being questioned that they're more than just average Joes. Cause they know like six different All these languages. languages. Yeah. They show that they're kind of a little bit above average or I mean, way above average the way that they're speaking mm. fluently in all these languages. So, Al, do you think, you, you may not think it's objectively good. What about subjectively? Um, do you think it's worth the kind of cult classicness that it's gotten? You know, I would say that it probably does deserve that, that like kind of cult classic status. When I watched it, I do remember specifically seeing that, like it was under like cult classic, under Netflix kind of classifications. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like I, uh, I mean, kind of looking into a little bit more of the history of it, like realizing that like it did not do well in theaters at all. It like made $30,000 or something like that in theaters. It was only there for like a week in a couple of theaters. And then it really like took off with VHS and probably DVD sales. Mm-hmm. Just the, the home market just like really exploded for this movie. And you know, I, I get it. I, it, it's clearly channeling some influences that are like really top notch. And so I can understand why people would really, you know, attune to it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So not knowing the sequel, Al and Cassia, but we'll start with Al. Would you have liked to seen a sequel and what do you think it should be? from where it ended because it did end on a very kind of high point of them kind of coming out and just out in public in front of a judge and in front of everyone just killing the guy. Yeah. I mean, it, it sets it up that they're like, we can go anywhere. We, we will take down bad guys. I think that with a sequel film, I would anticipate that it would probably have them taking on something even bigger, some like really big Russian or, you know, some, some other dude who's just like way up a higher ranking guy, kind of like John Wick. John Wickiverse. (laughs) Yeah. Similar, similar to that. It's like John Wick kills this, like nobody, you know, like the son of a a big dude in the first movie. Then he has to go after the big dude in the second movie. Mm. So I feel like they would have to ramp it up, go for something else. What I would kind of also predict is that they would be inspiring a lot of other people in it. 
and that they would like maybe they would die but that they would kind of start a movement where maybe they die against the the big enemy but it basically leads to like an army of people who like rise up and kind of like a seven samurai type thing kind of trope mm-hmm. where it's like oh the people feel mm-hmm. like they don't have to feel exploited anymore and they can like fight the battle as well and so they're going to like be the ones who actually take down interesting um, interesting yeah good i like it Cassia, any thoughts on it a sequel yes no if you um, would would you what would you want to happen in it huh i guess what would be interesting when the brothers are in the jail cell staying the night after they are uh let off because it they it's ruled as self-defense um you kind of see the brothers like um kind of like hearing the the words like the greatest evil is the indifference of good men you know and like some of the it's raining outside there's thunder yeah that's such a weird scene too yeah but like what i saw was like the rain dripping through the the ceiling is kind of like their baptism and like they Mm. kind of interpreted it as like thunder lightning uh sign from god like we need to continue this like we were let off like this is divine providence you know what would be interesting for me um is to see the brothers deal with a crisis of faith like and like was this just in my head am i insane you know like mm-hmm. uh kind of dealing with that and like i i do kind of see like maybe there would be impersonators maybe not just in their city but like maybe all over and like kind of like saying like did we do a good thing like people are impersonating us you know like yeah yeah i was gonna add that on to what alice saying is that they did and then they start to realize maybe the harm they've done because some people are just shooting people because they want to shoot them you know starting to purge <laughs> yeah. yeah and i've never seen any of the purges like and it's not high on my list even though like was even hawk in one of them yep he's in yeah. the first we we did talk okay. about it already <laughs> i might yeah. i might just you know like that would be the only reason i see it is because like oh hey he's in it you know like that's kind of why i was on the moon night train you know um but Ethan Hawk is kind of a hot dad in that one. Yeah. So um <laughs> Ethan Hawk, you just made me speechless, so yeah. <laughs> Ethan Hawk, please come on our podcast. <laughs> soon, soon, please. Um, excellent. And um uh, what do you think of the the title, Al? I don't think we've talked about uh title grade per se in a while. But Boondock Saints. Because um, it doesn't really say honestly, that they're in the Boondocks. But it yeah, is kind like of like... I, I, I didn't I'm know... I'm just like, Googling what, what a Boondocks boondock is. So. It, it, it's basically just a, a certain area of town near the like shipping lanes. Uh, uh, Down in the Boondocks. <clears throat> I do like the the name the saint like at least having saints in there i feel like it kind of the the imagery of seeing saints and then like looking at the case and you see like the two guys holding guns and stuff you're like what what kind of saints are they and there's like some kind of like it makes you kind of wonder because they're you know they might be considered by some as like a guardian angel or something like that or and so I feel like there is like a little bit of poetry in calling them saints, you know, and like the fact that they have had kind of some miracles in their life, you know, they, they fall out of, of the ceiling and they're able to, you know, turn that, that fall into a, a situation where they like eliminate all these, all these uh, Russians, you know, so they have like these kind of miracle moments. I, I feel like it definitely channels some, uh, there's a couple of things that I think kind of channel some Pulp Fiction vibes as well as like Taxi Driver vibes to it. And so I think at least... I mean, the, how many bullets did they is... dodge from their dad? <clears throat> right. Um... I think it's so weird that he's their dad. I think it's a perfect casting, though. I do love uh, Billy O'Connell, right? Isn't that who it is? Uh... 
Right. I've definitely seen that guy before, but like he he is a good cast for it. He's a he is your typical Irish man in my mind. <laughs> um, no, I like it. I think it works because the Boondocks, like it's saying, is is it's it is kind of that like low class kind of people. Um, I've definitely heard boonies. So, yeah, and that's also kind of this. Mm. Uh, Billy, yeah, Billy Connolly, not O'Connell. Billy Connolly. But yeah, you, you need an Irishman, he's there. Like he's in Brave as the, as the father. <laughs> you know, where was he when I was watching Banshees of Inishirin? He, he probably was somewhere in the background. <laughs> he was on the other Bro- island where he didn't have to worry about. <laughs> Dudes chopping their fingers off and throwing them at your door. Well, he shot a finger, remember? <laughs> it's showing That's <up>. true. <laughs> oh, can we talk about the finger? The homoerotic, uh, um, no, no, ca- catarizing. <laughs> oh, no, I, I do, I do not like it when people lose like a finger or, or a toe or, or something like that in movies. I, I do not like it. I can't really explain why. It's just something I don't enjoy in movies. And I've seen it happen. You know, I, I like John Wick a lot. And I don't like that part in John Wick 3 where he has to, like, chop off his finger. I don't like... Um, there's a part in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I don't know if you saw that one, Quince. Uh, it's so, been a while. That, that has Val Kilmer, right? Yes, Val Kilmer, yes. Um, Robert Downey Jr., yeah. some other people mm-hmm. like, uh, and you know that one. I I do like it because kind of the uh, people who aren't detectives kind of being put into that role as a detective, and but I don't like that somebody loses a finger in it. Uh, yeah, I'm just not a fan. So like when this when it happened in this, I was like, oh, I don't I don't like that. Is that like one of your biggest fears? You know. It, I think it could be because, like, because I do a lot of drawing and stuff like drawing, that. Drawing, see, I wouldn't ever want to have like fingers cut off or whatnot. Like, I would. Oh, like, even would, like playing. It'd be really games. hard for you to oh, draw an amputee. No, not to draw an amputee. Just and and I don't know what it is. It's just like, like. A person who like gets an arm or a leg cut off in a movie—that's that's not as gross to me as like losing a finger for whatever reason. Fingers just look weird when they're not attached to hands. I think like I almost lost a finger once, but um, luckily I didn't. But one upside I have thought about like is if I did lose that finger. Um, I could have maybe asked for ten percent off, like on future manicures, you know, so that Ooh, there would have been a, a good, silver lining. That's a good thing to to wonder about. Ten percent off because there's ten fingers. So if you lose two fingers, twenty percent off. Yeah. Also, then if you serve in the military, then you would get your military discount on top of that. You're like, okay, but the ten percent was before, and now I'm getting the twenty percent off with the military <laughs> discount. Oh, and I'm yeah. over fifty five, so can I get my AARP discount as well? You lost your hand fifty percent off. Yeah. All right, this is I'm laughing when I should probably not be laughing at this kind of a situation. <laughs> Okay, so do you do you still have you watched any other films uh, that have do you feel continue to break your innocence? Is there is there other things that like now that you watch like oh I cannot handle this um, like body horror films? No, I watch a lot of you know I, I haven't really had an issue with watching like Cronenberg or or other people. There are definitely movies that have been quite affecting in in other ways, but not in a like I I've never felt like a movie like I I'll watch I'll watch way more violent movies than 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 this. I've watched all of the John Wick movies. Those are clearly more violent, mm-hmm. but I feel like this one 
kind of broke me in so like it was a little bit quick and abrupt for for watching this one but Mm -hmm. watching it this time i didn't feel the the same way i was like looking at it to like try to think of how i felt but i wasn't necessarily feeling it the same way and i was like it, it is kind of sad that like when you like when you give up your innocence in some in some fashion there's something of you that you get to give off and i don't get to give that anymore it's like oh yeah it was i i don't i don't get that experience anymore to uh to feel like i'm oh man that was so crazy it's um yeah it's mm-hmm. So to all the kids listening to this podcast, which is probably zero, <laughs> don't watch this movie unless you want your innocence broken. You know, one of the questions that we sometimes ask is, do you feel like there are any lessons? And, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've always kind of internalized that question when I've asked it to other people about if they felt like the movie itself was teaching a lesson. But I feel like for me internalizing it i feel like there is a lesson in in me watching this movie and it's more that like i don't feel like you should go and rush out and to to try to you know see the see the craziest thing that you can on the internet or on you know in a movie or or things like that like just because you're curious about it doesn't mean that you should necessarily like kind of go that direction mm-hmm. You should you should always build up a little bit of immunity before you would like just go straight for the for the craziest thing. Maybe that sounds like bad advice to be like, oh yeah, you should build up an immunity to poison before you like drink some poison. But if you know That's that you how Wesley survived though, so I think it's good advice. <laughs> yeah, but it's like I went straight for the poison. That's that's the that's the thing. It's like I I went straight for the poison with this movie, and I feel like I probably should have watched a couple other things first before like I kind of geared up for this one. Were you warned like that Boondock Saints would be intense, or did you kind of go in uh, not knowing? I went in blind. Yeah, I I I saw that it was a movie on Netflix that looked like it had some promising action. I was, you know, curious because like it was, I was moved out of the house. I could watch things that were, you know, not, not just PG 13 anymore. I wasn't going to have, you know, somebody necessarily creeping in on me and being like, Hey, should you, you know, like it was, it was more just like, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm trying to watch all these movies. This one's a cult classic. Yeah. Well, I guess, I guess I should watch it then, because if a lot of people like it, I should go in. And I, I didn't really start looking at like Parents Guide or other stuff on IMDb until much later on. I guess like, what about Boondock Saints? Like, triggered your guilt senses specifically? Like, was it the, was it content or was it kind of like thoughts or questions and it instilled or or something else? Uh, for me, I think it was just that it had kind of everything that I had been taught was bad. You know, it's like violence, like a hyper violence and sex and swearing and like all all together and so unapologetic. Like it was just it didn't it didn't ever justify any of them. It was just like, nope, we're just going to have like crazy amounts of all of it all the time. You know, I was used to. You know, in a, in any PG thirteen movie, you can say the f word two times. So, like, you kind of get used to. Okay, how are they going to use it? Are they going to use it just once? Are they going to use it a second time? And so, this one, like, one once you go rated R, then you get to show a lot more. And like, so it just kind of felt like everything just assaulted my <laughs> my uh, my innocence all at once. And that's like what it what kind of hit me. I think for me, yeah, I think it, it, it's the violence. It's, you know, there is nudity, there is cursing all the time. And all of that just, it would make me feel slightly guilty. But I felt like I had already 
burst my bubble when I had saw that. And it just made me want to explore more. And so that, I think that's why I watched this. I think My Innocence, like I said, was like the Matrix for me. How did you watch this movie? Were you at like a friend's house? Did you watch it yeah, on your own? I, I would have watched at a friend's house. I think he okay. would have been the, my friend James. Uh, the one out. who introduced me. Yeah. <laughs> I'll rat him out any day of the week. Uh, no. <laughs> um, yeah, actually, though, he, he was great about turning me on to other movies and music. Um, I would I'd gladly have him on uh, the podcast. I don't know how, how well he keeps up with movies and whatnot, but I haven't talked to him in forever and a half. Um, basically, since I left on my mission. <laughs> He did message me out of the blue, out of nowhere, to tell me he saw our old uh, Scholastic Bowl coach. I don't know what Scholastic Bowl coach means. Scholastic Bowl is like a five-man Jeopardy team. That was that was oh. my sport that I played. Oh, okay. I would not I, I know was, that. I was thinking, since you grew up in Illinois, that it might have to do with the Bulls, like the Chicago Bulls. <laughs> so I was like, I was thinking Scholastic of Bowl? a stagecoach drawn by bulls for some reason but well uh let's get into a, a game we're gonna do the letterboxed game and we're gonna do willem dafoe this is for cassia and al so cassia how track the... of everybody's picks oh I, I i looked it up you're gonna be the oh. one that's uh, okay hopefully you didn't look it up did you no uh-uh no, okay, I, I usually just write down everybody's guesses and then I look it up. Oh, that. gotcha. I oh, I I just looked it up. I should have uh, I should have done one and then we can, uh, yeah, keep track of it. Uh, but we I just up the next one. Okay, so yeah, see how this works is you two are going to switch off in guessing what are the top movies that are letterboxed that has Willem Dafoe in it. Okay, Cassia, we'll start with you. What you'll do is you'll guess one, and then Al will guess one. It just needs to go back and forth, so I guess there isn't really guessing two. How many are we doing in total? Let's do uh, top ten? Um, four. Okay. So, oh yeah, we can do ten. I mean, we can do... like uh, we'll, top I'll ten, look at the so top we'll ten. we do five each? Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, let me keep track of your guesses. Okay, go ahead, Cassie. You are first. Yeah, since you haven't played this, you should go first. This is easy. Spider-Man, No Way Home. Okay. Al? I want to pick Spider-Man, the uh, 2002 movie. I think it's 2002. Cassia? Um, Loondock Saints. Okay, now. Hmm. Trying to think. Grand Budapest Hotel. We'll, we'll do that one. Um, how about the Last Temptation of Christ? Yeah. Another Wes Anderson, Fantastic Mr. Fox. I feel like Wes Anderson is like right in the niche of like <clears throat> what letterbox people would watch. Is he in the French Dispatch? Yes. Okay, then I guess that. <laughs> mm, okay. Let's Even though see. I've never seen it, um, <laughs> I just know because looking at this. Let's pick Antichrist. I have no clue if that one's going to be on there, but it's a Lars von von Trier. He's in the Antichrist, and he is Christ. <laughs> okay. How many do we have? He just has a face that can do everything, I think. Um, Cassia, you're up. I'm trying to think what else he's been in. How about the lighthouse? Okay. And Al, last one. Finding Nemo. Okay. I forgot he was in the Northmen. Okay. Okay, number one is Spider-Man No Way Home. So point to Cassie. Oh, nice. Number two is is Grand Budapest. Point to Al. Yes. Number three is American Psycho. Uh, Number four is The Lighthouse. Point to Cassie. Number 
Five is Fantastic Mr. Fox. Point to Al. Yes. Uh, number six is the French Dispatch. So point to Cassia. Number seven is Spider-Man. Point to Al. Um, number eight is John Wick. Mm, yeah, he is in that. Um, I did choke that in my thoughts. Is, is this the precursor to John Wick, his character? <laughs> yeah, makes sense. Um, uh, number nine is Nemo, point L. And number 10 is Spider-Man 2. So I had all the Spider-Mans he was in. <laughs> I top. forgot he... I mean, technically he's in the in a vision? Movie. Yeah. Like, Spider-Man 2? Oh, okay. I think he's just a voice, to be honest. I think that that's all that there is. I'm surprised he's credited, honestly. Um, other honorable mentions, we got Northman. If you mm-hmm. forgot, he's in Aquaman. Um, I, yeah, I didn't see that. Didn't see that coming. Uh, yeah. Boondock Saints wasn't for a while. Um... Is he in the Snyder Cut of Justice League? He is, and that was like number... Uh, I guess that'd be number 17. What does he do in that? Like, I was thinking about that too. I was like, wait, where is he in the Justice he, League? He's like an Atlantean. Mm. I honestly cannot remember if Amber Heard is in the Snyder Cut. Um, yeah. I'm pretty sure she yeah. was. She, she yeah. was in like one of the ending scenes that they added. Yeah. Um, but he is in. He isn't. Uh, is Ethan Hawke in the Northman? Yeah, as well. He so is he's the, the daddy. He's in two films with Ethan Hawke, that hmm. and Daybreakers, which we talked about already. Right. Yeah. Those are good. Who won? Uh oh. Um, let's see. Cassie has got one, two, three points. Al's got one, two, three points. Uh, so what do you do on a tie? Um, whoever got to their point to their, the last point first. Oh, I guess Cassie. Had tech- I mean, you guys both got it. Your last point on five. Um. Uh, okay, you both got a point on your first guess. Then Al, you got one on your second guess, and your third guess. And then uh, Cassia got. Oh, oh wait. Then Al, that means you have four. Sorry, you did. Oh, I have four. Okay. Okay. It was close for sure. It, it yeah. was close. I'm, I can be a sore loser, so yeah, I'll try to keep it contained. <laughs> I am surprised, though, Inside is not more up because what we've known from playing this game is usually newer movies are higher up on the list. I don't think that this one has gotten like a wide release yet. Or if it oh, has, maybe. it probably just hasn't gotten an, enough traction. Enough. Like, Yeah, it's like, I don't know how many people are talking about it yet. Is it Insight or Inside? Inside. Inside. Did I say inside? I apologize. Oh no, I'm just bad at hearing things sometimes. So, someone gave it three stars and says, my cat, when I leave for three days. <laughs> <laughs> when they leave for three days. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Like It looks like owners? an interesting film. Um, does, does Willem Dafoe have an Oscar yet? I don't think so. I'd if, love if that he, for him. If he if he did, it should have been for Boondocks. <laughs> oh man! If if anything, I think he should have had uh, an an Oscar nomination for Last Temptation of Christ. Yeah, same here. You know, he might be okay. So he's been nominated. Mm-hmm. He has been nominated zero Academy Awards. Well, Al, is there anything else you want to? say about this film anything else you want to add 
do you even recommend it in general for people to watch? Um, I mean, I, the fact that it's not, I wouldn't put it on my top 100 list probably should, should be an indication. But, you know, I, I think that there's a, if you, if you know that you like Tarantino, Scorsese, and like, don't mind it kind of being a little bit like the more generic version of, of their work, then go watch it. But it's also like, it doesn't have the same panache, you know, the star quality that Scorsese has when he made Taxi Driver or Tarantino when he made Pulp Fiction. It's, you know, it's, it's its own thing. And, um, so I, I would say, I would say watch it if you want, but maybe just don't make this your first, <laughs> your first R-rated movie. That, that's what I would close with. Okay. Well, thank you everyone for listening to the movies that moved us. Um, Ethan Hawk, come on our podcast for when we do Hawk Talk. And, uh, we appreciate, uh, all you listeners. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks guys. Thanks. Oh, and thanks Cassia. Sorry <laughs> again. Uh, yeah, probably waiting on that. But we appreciate you as a co-host. Oh, guest co-host. You. you know, we, we typically also end with, uh, some little plugs as well. Cassia, do you want to plug anything? Oh yeah. Um, uh, first of all, thank you for having me. It's, it's fun to talk about things that aren't like star Wars related, you know, like even though, uh, I love talking about star Wars with my co-host, Brian, we run the old Republic podcast and sometimes we do inspire to galaxy episodes as well. And you can find us on YouTube. You can find us on anchor I guess it's called Spotify for podcasters now. I forget about that. Um, uh, We're on Apple, too. Yeah, I can't remember his name, but I know what he wrote. But Was that Robert Jordan or was that somebody else? No, that's Wheel of Time. Okay, I don't know. It's someone other than Robert Jordan or Brandon Sanderson, you know? Uh, (laughs) But, yeah, like, I don't... It's kind of like... The first Jedi probably predates the Old Republic, but I'm interested. It could be way interesting. It could be philosophical, and it could go wrong in so many ways. So, like, uh, that's what I love about Star Wars is there's so much you can latch on to. And, like, if you don't vibe with some parts, you can just, like, be like, Mm. I'm not paying attention to that right now, you know? And so I grew up with brothers who love Star Wars. Um, and so I've been surrounded by it and so I enjoy it, but it's not like my favorite. And I love to tease my brother who is right above me about star Wars all the time. Yeah. Um, whenever I watch a, a Mandalorian episode, we'll talk about it. And a lot of times I criticize it. Um, but, uh, yeah. Lizzo on her episode, she was in a, she was a, a queen in that. And Jack Black was the, the king and so apparently she joked that she's now a disney princess and that yeah. just makes me happy to know that lizzo is a disney, <laughs> is a disney that makes princess. me happy you know and <laughs> what i think happened too it, which is kind of funny is like the episode that jack black was in you know uh that's the week that i believe the mario movie came out so it, it yeah. isn't the best episode um of the mandalorian some people might even think it's like one of the weakest episodes, if not the weakest. Yeah. But, um, I, I, I kind of just said. Oh, to now myself, we're just talking like, about Star Wars and the end of this. Yeah, like, but <laughs> that's that's the fun thing, you know. Like, it. This is a secret ploy on my part, you know. Like, I say I'm just going to do a plug, but I tricked you into talking about Star Wars, you know. Um, <laughs> but. Um, I'm actually, I haven't been watching, um, the season three, the Mandalorian yet, but if, if Bo-Katan and Din get together, like in a romantic relationship, I'm there, you know, I'm gonna, I, I love (laughs) love. So I would, 
be there in a heartbeat and just watch all the episodes, see how it happens, you know? So, me Star Wars, yay. Yeah. Old Republic podcast. Too long, didn't listen, that, that's what it is. So. Well, thanks everybody for listening to another episode of the Movies That Move Us. And go out and watch a movie. Bye.